Hello and welcome to another episode of Room for Thought. I'm Douglas Carswell and joining me today is the broadcaster and political commentator Julia Hartley Brewer. Julia, thank you very much for coming along. Thank you for inviting me. Fantastic. You are, as I said, a radio presenter. Mm -hmm. You are a political commentator. You are perfectly perched, if I can put it that way, to tell <laughs> us about what's what's going on really? in politics. Does what is going know? on? What is that? No, good question. What is going on? I think the key thing of what's going on, it's not about realignment of parties from you know a two-party uh, country to a four-party or five-party or six-party country. Uh, and, I, and I don't think it's really so much a battle about remain and leave anymore. I think this is about the battle between people who believe in democracy and people who don't. I think this is the, the British people saying... You know what? It turns out you've not been listening to us for all these years. You've been doing all this stuff without our permission and you're treating us like we're idiots. And you know what? We're not sure you have been making the right decisions on our behalf and we don't like being treated like idiots and we'd like it to stop. That was what I think the 2016 Brexit vote was about. And that was quite a lot about what the 2017 vote was about. It was what the European election vote might have been about as well. And I think those votes are going to continue to be about that message from ordinary people, whether they're living on a council estate in Stoke-on-Trent or whether they're living in a nice little middle-class house in Islington. But people just saying, do you know what? I would like my politicians, I would like my government, I would like the opposition to be representative of what people actually want rather than what they think is the right thing for us because... Well, they know better, don't they? Do you, do you almost think that perhaps with digital, people have woken up to the fact that you know, all these MPs are actually pretty tinnied when it comes to connecting with the public, but they've got a safe seat, so a job yep. for life. Civil servants, rubbish at making public policy, but 20 or 30 years ago, they were good at taking civil service exams. Yep. In, in broadcasting, you've got all these public service broadcasters mm. who don't really understand the country that they're reporting about. Yeah. Do you think that we, we can now see this? We can see how rubbish they... Yeah. Largely I mean, are. The fact that everyone was so completely shocked by the 2016 <laughs> referendum result. I mean, I, my, one of my favourite things is that I got an image uh, on my iPad of the, the BBC newsroom in the morning, uh, sort of around 7, 8 a.m., uh, when they were reporting, it was still, you know, after four hours, you know, Brexit uh, had uh, been voted for. And, uh, and you could see these shell shocked journalists just sort of, but I don't know anyone who voted leave. So how could this possibly have happened? No, exactly. Of course you don't know anyone who voted leave. You work at the BBC. But that's it. I mean, and again, the political classes. I'm willing to accept that actually your average MP spends more time with awful thing, ordinary people uh, than the average journalist living in that Westminster. I know as an MP, you, you have to. Yeah, because you, you have your constituency meetings and you have people coming in with their problems. And you have to meet people and know what they're talking about. But there has just been this idea that... We know better. And again, it's, it's that idea that I think that people are really sort of, that, and that's the EU's idea. The EU knows better than the, the government of any nation state, and they know better than the people. And we've had that attitude right now. You know, the, the people saying that, look, Parliament, if Parliament doesn't want to no deal Brexit, Parliament knows better, and it would be a devastating blow to the country. Well, what if the people are quite happy, whether they don't believe it'll be a devastating blow, or they don't care? whether it is, they're willing to take the risk. Well, they just don't trust yeah. the people telling them this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just fundamentally, this idea that, you know, the people are sovereign. Everyone seems to have forgotten that. Yeah. Now, did you, did you support the Leave campaign in the referendum? Uh, I absolutely did. I was broadcasting on talk radio at the time, and we'd actually just launched in March 2016. Good timing. Um, uh, but, of course, because of uh, Ofcom rules, very strict rules on broadcasting, I'm not allowed to support any yeah. particular side on air. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm known as a lever, I'm, and certainly outside of those purder periods, uh, I can be very open about that. But I don't, I don't have a party political uh, are, are you still surprised that three years on we're, we're still in it? 
I'm annoyed at myself as a cynical old hack. I've, you know, I'm 51 years old. I've been in political journalism for, for more than uh, three decades. No, two, two decades, sorry. Uh, you'd think that I would be a bit more cynical. It, it pains me to admit that it, it didn't occur to me for one moment, for one moment, that if there was a victory for Leave in 2016, that it wouldn't be enacted. I, um, you just I'm, assumed we were a democracy I, and they would... It, do what the people but wanted. of course, I had a leaflet that cost £9.3 million of taxpayers' money from David Cameron telling me that the result would be implemented. I have to say, I don't still have my own leaflet because I did rip it up, put it in an envelope <laughs> and post it back to number 10 because I objected to my money being spent on, a, on what was basically propaganda. But yeah, no, I, I, was, I am really shocked by it. And I think the British people are really mm. shocked by it. And it's extraordinary how many Remainers, people I know who voted Remain, some of them you're a skeptic, they're sort of, well, on balance, I don't want to take the risk, but I don't like a lot of the EU. But how many of those people now say, if there were a second referendum, God forbid, they would vote leave because they think it's a travesty of democracy and natural mm. justice that it's not, not been delivered. I think it's quite disturbing how since the referendum three years ago, it's almost as if there's been a culture war waged by the cultural and intellectual elites. Yeah. I, I look at some of the output of the BBC. I look at what certain academics have been saying, uh, how previously sensible commentators have become almost deranged. Yeah. And, and they're stirring up a, a culture war against the yeah. majority of their own citizens. If, if I read one more time or hear another interview in which we're told, but, but you know, the average Leave voter was, you know, wasn't university educated, they're old, they're all dying off, uh, uh, they're bigoted, they're, they're ignorant about things. Again, I sit there thinking, not sure I'm any of those things, but I managed to be a Leave voter. I mean, my family split down the middle, uh, seriously Remain and seriously Brexit. Uh, so we've had some good battles at home on that one. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's very strange. And I don't think the people who are making those arguments, the ugh, stupid people didn't know what they were voting for, and we were all mesmerised by the power of this big red bus and what was written on its side and we were lied to and all of that. Um, I don't think they realise how incredibly insulting that is to, to people. That, it's almost like the communists used to say that people had a false consciousness. Yeah, well, absolutely. But again, what I find fascinating is um, if you vote the right way, so for instance, if uh, when there is like a referendum in Republic of Ireland on, a, uh, you know, on gay marriage and, and, and it's wonderful and strong vote for, for progressive values and, and, and equal rights for, for gay people to marry. And then, oh, you see, this is the wisdom of the crowd. Aren't these people wonderful? This is, you know, the, this is where you, you, know, you can defeat the establishment of the Catholic Church because ordinary people do the right thing. Oh, except if you vote the wrong way, when you're all stupid and ignorant and, and fascist and bigoted and prejudiced and, and you believe what was written on a bus. So it's this judgment that when it's in their interest, the people know best. Uh, and when it's not, then the people are stupid. Uh, what's interesting about that is it doesn't occur to them that actually the liberal, educated, sensible option could actually be to not have your country run by a group of unelected technocrats. Well, that's a mad <laughs> idea that's never going to catch on, is it? Yeah, that, I, you know, I think the big divide uh, in this country um, pre-2016 and, and since is actually um, optimist or pessimist. Mm. Uh, the number of people who, who tweet me particularly uh, or, or talk to me in the street who are Remainers, who have this incredibly negative view of our country. Not only should we... We can't cope unless yes, we... Yes, but not only should we be ashamed of our colonial past, we should ashamed, be ashamed of being, you know, 90% white. We should be ashamed of... of oh, I mean, the country was in dire straits before we joined the EU, and, and thank God for the EU, they saved us from ourselves, and, and we have no economic future, no one cares about us, we haven't got any industry, we, we're, just, we're dying as a country, and thank God the EU are willing to have us and take us in, you know, in our rags and our bare feet. 
and give us a crust of bread. I mean, that's the sort of attitude. Whereas most um, leavers I know, and certainly this is where I come from, and I think it's where you come from as well. Um, I'm not a leaver because I want to go back to the 1950s. Um, a, I wasn't alive then. B, actually, there's a lot of things wrong with Life this country in the pretty, 1950s. Life was probably pretty dull and grim. And, yeah. and, and sexist and racist and homophobic and all the other things. No Netflix, um, no Spotify. How would we cope? <laughs> um, so I, know I want to go forward. I My view of Brexit is because I am incredibly proud of my country and not just our hard power but our soft power our language and our culture and, and all the technological and industrial innovation that we've had mm. over the years mm. we've been such I mean we punch well above our weight in, in the global world have done have done for centuries and will continue to do so and so my view of, of Brexit is about us being this global uh, power and, and us being a proud independent nation state and there's nothing little Englander about it but there's Crucially, it's, it's about having a positive vision and a belief in our country and a belief in our people mm. and, our, and our education system and, and, and our innovation and our entrepreneurial spirit. Has, has being a Brexit supporter cost you any friendships? Are there times when people that you've been close mm. to, difference of opinion, yeah. you've noticed you've slightly drifted? Well, I have I've been accused of radicalising my husband, who, who, who got very staunch Brexit, having lived with me. Um, there were a few family members uh, with whom um, I think we just felt it was easier for a few months not to be involved. Now, although I wasn't a campaigner uh, for, for leave officially, um, I think though I did a few question times and quite high profile on Twitter. I remember you were a, and, um, a very effective advocate. Yeah, and, and, and so I, I think there were quite a few people who felt that that if I'd swung even a few thousand votes, that I'd been I'd been bad for the country. Um, certainly, the only friend I have fallen out with uh, it was actually only a few months ago. But I just I just couldn't keep up the sort of being talked to as if, well, I thought you were a nice person, I thought you were a clever person. But it turns out you're supporting leave. And of course, all the illegality and all the criminality and the side of the bus thing. And I just I just couldn't I just couldn't keep it up. I couldn't keep up the politeness yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. But as a general rule, as you know, leavers don't fall out of people with people because they disagree with them. I have found Remainers don't either. Ramonas do. I know that, that I, I think there are definitely two types of Remainers. There, there are a lot of people I know who voted Remain because they Feared change. Yeah. They believed what David Cameron and George Osborne were telling them about well, they, the economy. Or they believe in the EU. Oh, they really yeah, do. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's a sort of honesty and honourable case for, for yeah. the UK's membership. But what I find really extraordinary is a certain kind of Remainer who just simply won't accept the legitimacy of the results yeah. or the... Uh, and they've gone through different arguments. Oh, oh they, it was it was only fifty two percent. The side of the bus. It was the Russians. It was the Russians. Um, it, there, there, there was someone who gave too much money to the believer count, and it was some teenage guy who'd been a design student who who won it. And they, they're going through every different option, every single option, and and they'll go. They, and they and what, won't what's stop. interesting? I think there's a dishonesty in their arguments, mm. and they know they know that they're being yeah. dishonest, and they know that we know, and yet, like a small child, they're still doing it. But, but they come from that belief that but they're good people, you see. And one of my favourite things to do on social media is when someone with the, you know, the hashtag FBP, which follow back pro-Europe uh, and uh, all of the, you know, citizen, I of, what that meant. citizen of nowhere, or I don't know, all of the, all, the diff- all of the different things, the EU flag, all of the different hashtags, and they'll tweet me some absolutely vile, unpleasant, nasty abuse. Mm-hmm. And I always retweet and say to my followers, say, remember... They're the good people. <laughs> you know, they're, they're the nice people. And I, and I just don't see it on the other side. And I think mm-hmm. actually Leave voters have been, I would say, you know, 99% remarkably well-behaved and uh, sanguine in the face they're of... Pretty the, restrained. Yeah, very restrained in the face of the 
three years of being told that we're bad people. What I think, if you look at politics more generally, rather than yeah. Brexit for a moment, if you, if you take a broader picture of politics, it's almost as if politics is being turned inside out. By which I mean the outsiders, people like Jeremy Corbyn,、yeah. Nigel Farage, they're becoming the insiders.、Yeah. And there are an awful lot of career politicians, career insiders, who I think at the next election might find themselves、yes. out completely.、Yeah. Why? Why do you think it is that the people who do politics for a living have proved to be so bad at it, so bad at capturing this mood of public unrest? Isn't, isn't it partly because the people, and there are an awful lot of MPs who've done this, but particularly I think on the Labour side, this is a big thing, where you leave university, you work in a A policy unit. You 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 work maybe for a, you become a, a special advisor. Yes, but you you work in sort of you know equalities in a trade union. So you haven't done the shop floor stuff. You've you know and and then yes, a special advisor, and then you become an backbench MP. You work your way up, and it's basically about sort of you know. It's basically licking the licking the bottom of the person. You're, you're rewarded for being obsequious. Yeah, you suck up, and, and they you... haven't. It's, it's very different, I think, that from going into politics at a later age, having you know, done a job,、um, maybe you know some people you know made own money or be or been successful in a career, or you know you've been a teacher or a cab driver. We've got you know lawyers、yeah. or whatever, and then to say, do you know what? I want to do something more. This is a problem, and I think that I'm somebody who can help change things, and I'm going to go into politics. To do this specific it, it, thing, or, or change an attitude, and, and to have a purpose, rather than I quite fancy being a politician as a career. Which you're I think so, is a you're, you're so, so right. The number of times we've established was, that as a thing. The number of times. <laughs> <laughs> should we just stop there? Yeah. <laughs> the, the number of times I listen to a politician saying that they care passionately about something, and、mm. I ask myself, did they care about? This phenomenon, when they first went into politics, or、yeah. do they want to go into politics? Want to see the letters MP off their name,、yeah. and they fish around for things to feign concern about. And I, I think that's、yeah. the problem with politics. And, and I think that's where voters perhaps can start seeing three three people. And that's the interesting thing actually is is a lot of the media class and the political class find it very strange that、uh, there are people who I mean, like Jeremy Corbyn, who who, who you know. Magic Grandpa, Nigel Farage, and Whitaker, people like that, and you think, well, why on earth would these people be popular? And the general they believe is, in something. They believe in something, but also they tell it like it is, and they don't mind offending people. It's this feeling that people are are true and honest, and we all have that. We have friendships like that.、Mm. We have family relationships like that, where、mm. you can say, look, I don't agree with you, but at least I know I know where you stand. And I think that's the feeling from a lot of voters. It's sort of this sort of oily, well turned out politician who's saying the right things, depending on what the manifesto says this week, and、yeah. and that feeling that you're 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 being treated as a fool. I, I was reading. A tweet by a prospective Tory parliamentary candidate the other day, and they were saying they were passionate about <laughs> politics because they wanted improved public services and a pro-enterprise economy. And I thought to myself, "Hang on, there's a, there's a boilerplate、yeah. soundbites, and I who, like apple pie. Who, who's against that? Yeah. What they really mean, I think, is that they want to feel important, and they're willing to learn the magic code in Westminster to say the right cliches in order、yeah. to get in.、It's, well, I'm just amazed that that being an MP is something people desire <laughs> to do anymore. I, I very seriously considered politics, but I genuinely, I've yet to find a political party that I could. Fully sign up. To. I, 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 I was a member of one or two. Yeah, you've like, done it.、Yes. Like, like you, I can never find、you're, one. I agree. You're not、with. quite. You're not quite in triple blue territory. Even, even when I was in a parliamentary party with a single MP in the House of Commons, we had ferocious <laughs> disagreements. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. I, I am genuinely one of those you know, floating voters.、Um, I don't necessarily always vote on the winning side, but more often than not.、Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I, I am somebody who, I, I, if I, when I actually look at sort of the, the polling on what people think about, say, for instance, criminal justice or public services or taxation or education, mm-hmm. whatever it is, I tend to be, on, I would say, 90% of topics, right slap yeah. in the middle. But there isn't a political party right now which represents my views on that and that and that and that. And I, I just figured I wouldn't be any good at being, I'm my biggest fault, you know those awful, like, what's your biggest fault at a job interview? Far too honest, brutally honest. I would last about five minutes. <laughs> you, you, would, you would forget what dishonest soundbite you had to yes. say to what question. Yeah. I'm, also, I'm a terrible liar. I'm really bad at lying. Now, let's put a bit of perspective on our, our politics. I mean, I, I think generally speaking, for a, a Western country, we've been pretty well run yes. over the years. The yeah. broader, you know, every time we've had a national crisis, World War I, we managed to produce yeah. Lloyd George. World War II, we managed to produce the Churchill. Post-war, yeah. we managed to produce Natalie. 1970s, we're a country in decline, we produce a Thatcher. Mm. Where, where, where's the Thatcher or the Churchill now? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Well, saying, saying someone's ideological now is, a, is, a, is considered to be a fault, isn't it? Whereas actually, you think, I mean, Margaret Thatcher, I wasn't a fan of Margaret Thatcher. I, were you I not? Came from, I came from a Labour No one's perfect, family. Julia. But... Um, and I, I have to say, no, she left office in 1990 when I was at university, and I'm recording my tutor and saying, I need to come late because I want to see her cry when she leaves Downing Street. I was very... It's only in years later. You're looking at me so disappointed. I'm appalled. It's, it's only in the years later that <laughs> I, I was became aware of quite how much she had done and how many things she did. I think she got a lot of things wrong, but I'd say overall, thank God. Uh, I think she's Margaret the best, best leader this country's ever uh, had. In, in, and in terms of the long-term... And also the fact that, of course, when you know Tony Blair did come in, he barely changed a thing. So even though the Labour Party had been so critical, they barely changed She had changed the way the country thought. Yeah. It made yeah. it impossible. And then, of course, you have people like George Osborne doing, in effect, mm. socialist things at the Treasury. Mm. It paves the way for Corbynism because they've Being undone the Labour Thatcher lights. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing. I, mean, I think uh, we, we totally moved the Overton window on a lot of those issues uh, in recent years. Uh, my smashed biggest, the Overton window. My <laughs> biggest worry is, is, is the, the belief in democracy. And you say, one of the good things about what's been happening, despite what's happened three years on, still it would feel right now no closer to delivering Brexit vote. And we don't have people rioting on the streets. We've had some people being a bit rude to Anna Subri outside the House of Commons. And we've had a couple of milkshakes thrown. But overall, we haven't had riots on the streets every weekend like the, the French have been. We're, we're not the yellow we're vest. Yes, we're not we're, France. We're not the French. And, 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 and we're to not be honest, the French. there were a couple of wallies who put on yellow vests yeah. around Westminster yeah. and I think they got jeered. But exactly. We, we are a civilised country and it's quite quite clear that the British people have said, that's okay, you do what you're going to do, we'll have our say at the ballot box. And they waited, yeah. they waited to European elections, yeah. and they will wait again. If there's <laughs> a second referendum or a general election in the next few years, well, it has to be yeah. by 2022, they will have their say. Yeah. But I think also, crucially, there, there has been this big change in terms of attitudes towards capitalism. And I think the biggest failing the Tories have had in the last uh, 10 years or so is their re- absolute abject re- refusal to defend capitalism. The only time we hear about business now is when you hear about, you know, Sir Philip Green on his yacht while pensioners at BHS or, uh, are losing money. You don't hear about the fact that capitalism, and yeah, you know, I'm a welfare capitalist. I believe in capitalism to markets to create wealth. And then I believe in a relative level of redistribution to, to help the people at the very bottom. But it is absolutely extraordinary how people are not defending the creation of wealth anymore, celebrating the creation of wealth. Um, and, and if the Tories aren't doing that, then who is doing this? This constant, you know, yes, they messed up in 2007 and 8, uh, absolutely. But I would say, to be honest with you, 
regulators, the government was more in, to blame for that because they shouldn't have let it happen. But this banging on about constant talk about inequality and social redistribution and the like, without talking about the need to create a pie and a cake that's big enough that you can redistribute is insane. Do you think sometimes those on the centre-right make the mistake of confusing the free market yep. with the interests of big business? Yes. Because big business doesn't actually like the free market. Which is and, why they like the EU. Yeah, and big banks, for example, they, they, they like all that quantitative easing. Um, big yeah. producers, they like the EU because it can create regulations that, yeah. that, that, that yeah. shut out their competition. But, but we, we shouldn't be down on, on small business or big business. And seeing these people as bad. I, I used to do phone-ins on the radio. And um, I remember once there was something about how, you know, how all big business and how people hate business, their bosses and how unhappy they are. And I said, you know, what's your relationship with your boss like? Because... I, I, I've had a few bosses in my time I've not been that keen on, but I know an awful lot of people, including my husband, who run small businesses. And um, I said, this is not the relationship that I see. Uh, and, it, and the stories people were telling me about bosses, you know, giving them paid time off, you know, for six months for an illness or, or a family death, for um, helping them out, you know, buying a car, um, you know, helping them with school, things for their kids. The, the relationship that most people have with bosses, we, this, this idea, this them and us idea that comes from the socialist idea, you know, there's people exploiting their people. And people don't have their own agency yeah. and they need to have and those the, relationships managed. And there's this constant for them. view of, exactly, of people as victims, yeah. whether it's women who are forced to work part time because they're nasty husbands make them look after the children really is that what happens in most households it doesn't happen in most i know and i, and I do think that the, the, the tories have got tied down into this they, they've basically marched onto labor territory and they're not making their own case for you know why why this is what this is why we think the world works like this and what we could do to make it work better as, as opposed to marching onto labor territory and 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 thinking that they can be a version of labor and, and part of that is the whole um, capitalism bad, socialism good thing, um, which is where it is extraordinary that someone could be the leader of the opposition party in this country and pose in front of photographs of Stalin and Lenin and Mao. Mm. And, mm. and the country doesn't... And some of these people are mass murderers. Then. Um, I be... mean, on a different scale from Hitler. Now, if anyone posed on the right or put a picture of Hitler, they would quite rightly be out of polite society. Um, and yet, there's still this... The, the Tories, I think, the right have allowed this narrative to come up that the left are good and the right are practical. I would have thought that being practical was good. And also, I, I think you're right that the, the case for the free market is not just that it works, that it <laughs> delivers faster growth. It's the only I, thing I that think works. It's, it's, it's morally superior to yeah. redistribution. In terms of delivering exchange. people out yeah. of poverty. And again, this comes back to that idea of pessimism and optimism. This view that the country is more unequal, everyone's living in poverty, everyone's having a horrible time. Actually, inequality is falling. For, has fallen. But look around. Our notion of poverty now <laughs> is someone who can't afford an iPhone. I mean, it's ridiculous. I was, I was explaining to a group of 10-year-olds the other day that when I was their age, phone calls were prohibitively expensive. Mm. Um, Clothes. I, I grew up in, in Central Africa. There was no television. Um, and when you wanted to make a phone call, you would have to book with the post office a line and yeah. it would cost an absolute fortune. Now, of course, 10 year olds yabber away on Facebook to their cousins in yeah. on the other side of the planet. And yeah. it's virtually, yeah. um, I, I've got an Italian friend who flies to and fro between here and Italy for 30 quid. I mean, yeah. it's extraordinary. It, I mean, the world has changed immeasurably and it's not just the first world that's doing well out of government. Mm -hmm. um, the developing world is also. It's, it's the free market. The, it's, it? a free, it's the free market. And there is no one defending that. This, this, uh, the, the average view of someone on the left now of, of how the world is in terms of, you know, um, 
Uh, I mean, Hans Rosling's done these amazing polls yes. of people, and, and it tells you everything. They think that the average, you know, everyone's still having eight children, um, uh, and, and four of them are dying, and uh, you know, before the age of five, and that the eighty percent of the world is illiterate, and and everyone's having, everyone's living in mud huts. They're completely out of touch with how ordinary people are living in almost everywhere in the world, apart from some of the poorest countries in Africa. Um, and, and, this, and it's this negative view and this total lack of factual basis in yeah. their opinion. In, in the 1980s, I remember looking at the television in the UK and it was full of pictures of Bob Geldof appealing for yeah. charity to help starving Ethiopians. You realise since the year 2000, yeah. the second fastest growing economy on yeah. the planet has been Ethiopia. Yeah. And they do phenomenally well. Yeah. And I, you know, I think we need to slightly update our view yeah. of the world. And I think if we did that, we might come to appreciate actually that our own country hasn't well, got this right to be top dog forever unless we can adapt and embrace the free market a little bit more openly. But again, isn't it? And again, it's not about being top dog necessarily. It's about uh, you know, being able to make the most of the opportunities that are going to be out there, isn't it? I, 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 I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. Now, what, one thing that I think is definitely happening is as this political and cultural and intellectual elite begins to fear the extent to which they become detached mm. from the concerns of the rest of the country, as they've retreated into this echo chamber, they become quite censorious. Yes. Well, we yes, see a lot of that these days. And it started in universities, this concept of no platforming, that if someone, someone says something or is likely to say something that challenges the orthodox opinion, just don't let them onto campus. Yeah. It's migrated out of universities. You've, you've had some experience of no platforming. Tell I us what have. happened. Oh, it was, I have to say it was, it was a very, very, very unpleasant experience. And uh, I was invited to uh, speak, not to give a speech, but to join in a question time style panel at the Royal College of General Practitioners, uh, mainly because um, I, I've written and, and, and commentated on NHS issues for many years. In fact, I've hosted a couple of NHS conferences. Um, and, and quite apart from that, as an aside, my mum is a GP. In fact, my father was a special advisor in the Department of Health. God, you know, so you've got a long-standing interest. I've got a long-standing interest and, and knowledge about, about that, that field. Um, and, uh, and also I've interviewed people from the Royal College of GPs many times. Um, and then a, a very, very left-wing Corbyn Easter full-on Ramona, uh, a doctor, decided to do a little bit of offence archaeology, as Toby Rowland always calls it, Toby Rowland, so Toby Young calls it, um, and looked through some past tweets of mine, found a three-year-old tweet of mine, which was part of a of a longer conversation, some of which has been deleted by the other half, so I, I can't remember, three mm. years ago, a tweet mm. about Enoch Powell, it was a conversation about Enoch Powell, and, um, and, I, and, and the tweet that I sent, which has... Um, uh, was deemed too offensive to allow me to have a platform at the Royal College of GPs, was a tweet that read something along the lines of, it began with, fair point, because I was responding to someone else. I'm not defending Enoch Powell, um, but I can't see what he got, I can't see anything he got wrong in his speech. Now, this was a comment about what he was predicting in his mm -hmm. speech. That was mm -hmm. what I was commenting on. Mm -hmm. I can't, the original tweet to which I was responding is has disappeared, so I can't uh, show that. But, However, I began the tweet with the words... I'm not defending Enoch Powell. And then this was written up in uh, Pulse magazine, a GP's magazine, um, and quoted by the Royal College of General Practitioners and used in a, um, a petition sent, uh, uh, organized by a very, very, very militant left-wing Corbynista Remainer um, to say that I was totally unsuitable, I was, I was a racist, xenophobe, whatever, and I should not be allowed <laughs> to be on a panel. But, but despite the fact that this tweet began with the words, I'm not defending Enoch Powell, I was, the claim on the headlines was, 
journalist no platform for defending Enoch Powell. I thought I was having a nuanced conversation, stupid me, on Twitter about, about things that he predicted in terms of um, uh, cultural uh, difficulties, um, uh, um, people being able to actually assimilate in large numbers and the backlash and the, the racial tensions, mm -hmm. riots and things that uh, would, would, be, would happen. And that's what I thought I was talking mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. um, all of my other comments in public and in private on social media, on the radio, articles I've written would show that I'm not a racist, not a xenophobe at all, far from it. But no, I'm now I'm now deemed um, uh, uh, someone not not worthy, not worthy of attending the Royal College of General How, Practitioners. I mean, it takes I think four, five, maybe six years to train to become a fully qualified doctor. Mm. What I find so alarming about not allowing you on the platform is this assumption that yeah. somehow all these doctors are going to be but again it's also the idea Presum that we wouldn't look at both sides i mean genuinely I, as i pointed out to them you know you were talking i don't know what it was a 15 word tweet you've deliberately only quoted the seven words but not the key words before yeah. I, I think i think when someone actually writes a tweet saying i'm not defending powell to then actually say journalist defends powell i find a little bit visible yeah. and i personally i don't want to be treated by any of these doctors i have to say it was a really unpleasant affair i have spent the last few years um it's quite a strong campaign on freedom of speech issues. And I don't think you should know platform people or censor people because you don't agree mm. with or like or approve of what they say or even think that what they say is true or not. Um, and I think that we should be debating people. And, and again, if someone wants to deny the Holocaust, well, look, we know you're stupid. You're probably anti-Semitic. Um, but let's debate you and let's show you all the evidence to prove that you're wrong. And we'll do it in the public domain. And then we'll move on after we've made our case. And I find the idea that because you don't like something someone says, or you've taken something out of context, and therefore they should be thrown out of polite society, I think that's terrifying. And it is, as everyone keeps saying, but it is true. It is Orwellian. We need people in politics who can speak for those millions of people, ordinary people living across suburban Britain. And yet, at the same time, we have this increasingly censorious, narrow, yep. groupthink political class. Now, that is what creates the space for these insurgent outsiders. That's, that's the key thing. On my local paper, when I started out uh, in the mid-90s, East London Advertiser of Bethnal Green, and uh, we had the very first BNP councillor elected in the country. And I used to spend uh, at least one day, a fortnight, um, meeting with this councillor and his acolytes. And um, um, not a very pleasant character at all. Interestingly, not re-elected. Why? Because they're no good and people see through them. But there was a big debate about whether or not, even then, in the early 90s, about whether or not um, we should not cover this person. We, we should not talk about them and just pretend they don't exist. And I said, I think that's insane. I think what you do is you talk about their policies, you, you get them to explain their views and you, you expose them. And we saw that with Nick Griffin when he mm. went on uh, uh, Question Time. And he was totally exposed for just frankly being an idiot, um, let, let alone a racist idiot. Um, so I'm very much the view that, that you should expose and debate and, and you know, use it as an intellectual exercise to, to make your own arguments. But yeah, I, I think it's very worrying because when you tell people, again, when you, we might decide, well, we don't want to hear someone who's openly anti-Semitic. You know, Jews should all die. Do we want to hear from that person? Not really. But I think it's better we know what they're saying than that they're keeping it quiet. Mm -hmm. But then the people who say we shouldn't hear from that person is also the person who's saying, that I, because I don't think we should have free movement of people from any country in the world or, or, or the EU, is I'm a racist. 
Well, they would know Platform Lee as well, despite the fact that my view is backed up, not just by every Leave voter, but an awful lot of Remain voters as well. So it's, it's, it's who gets to decide what is and what is not acceptable speech, because we have had, you know, 52% 52% of this country being told they're xenophobic and racist and ignorant and prejudiced and all of those things. And you know, who gets to decide that? So simply wanting to have some control on the numbers of people coming to our country is racist. I mean, I'm, I'm a great believer in the free market, mm. and particularly the free market of ideas. And I think if you allow good ideas to combat bad ideas, yeah. the bad ideas get driven out. Yes. If you intervene in the market of ideas, like intervening in any market system, one of the consequences is that you allow the bad yeah. to remain in the marketplace. Yeah. And, by, and by definition, the good ideas will win out if they are backed up by you know, good morality and, and good sense and, and, and the facts. And that's the thing. You know, we haven't seen the rise of the very far right, as we've well, seen in other well, European countries. One in this thing country. I do fear is that British politics, ironically, as we leave the European Union, becomes Europeanized. Yeah. We end up with a situation like in France, where you've got Macron, a sort of bland, managerialist, technocratic centrist. All things to all men. Yeah. Mm. And you've got this sort of hideous alternative in the form of the uh, Front National. Mm. Um, and you know, I can see that, and, and, and then of course, even worse, the, 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 a large section of the population feels the only way they can have their voice heard is to burn cars. Yeah. And if we're not careful, yeah. that's where we're going to head. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when they refer, people refer to you know, the former UKIP party as you know, a fascist party, the Brexit party as a fascist party, routinely refer to Nigel Farage as a fascist. And you just think, I mean, I just shake my head in horror because... He's a, he's a classical free market. Literally. No, exactly. And I know him very well. And, I, and he, he just is, he just isn't. Um, but, it, but, but when you, when you do that, and again, you, these words start losing their meaning because, well, who, what do you actually call the real fascist? But, but also that you, um, if you just start labeling everybody with whom you disagree as a bad person and you don't, and then people don't feel they can speak out. Yeah. Then, then, then those feelings will come out some other way. I've always, you know, I would always rather know if someone, um, was, was, was worried about something, anxious about something. If someone had, if someone genuinely feels, you know, when I look at a group of young, you know, black men on the street, I, I feel anxious. Well, don't, don't tell, don't tell them they can't say that. Say, well, why do you feel that? What is it? Well, my impression is that, you know, black people, uh, you know, commit more crime or something. That's what I see on the news. You, know, you can discuss it. You can discuss the issues about, you know, well, whether, is it, you know, is it more black people committing crime or is it more white? Or is it, and you can discuss it and use the facts, talk about people's perceptions. And, and that's how you tackle it. Yeah, if, if you demonize certain opinions, you create demons. Yeah. yeah. And, we, and we've seen that being yeah. done. Um, an American friend of mine said to me several, several months ago, that they would never forgive the US political process for forcing them to choose between Trump and Hillary. Yeah. And I, I, my great fear is that at uh, one future election, I might be forced to choose between sort of Corbynism and, and Nigel Farage. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know where I go. <laughs> well, yeah. I, as a last resort, I do too. Yeah. But I, 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 I rather want a free, well, a, a, a well, we don't. I mean, the thing is, we don't have a presidential system, so it is well. We, we, some ways, we end up we have one almost by default. Sometimes, um, I, I don't think it is going to come to that. I mean, everyone's saying right now, "Oh, politics has changed." You say it's more European. We're going to have all these different political parties and things. Well, you know, everyone said that after you know, 2010, and then 2015, we saw that a majority government for, for Cameron. Yes, and then you know, and then 2017 was it 83 percent of people voted for either Labour or the Tories. 
the point is, people will vote for the party that best represents their views. If you would like, if you would like to have a government <laughs> that best represents, you have to vote for one. Maybe, maybe in order to prevent this sort of Corbynism versus Farageism divide in politics, maybe the Conservative Party's got this last opportunity. If they mm. choose someone who is not a middle of the road technocratic yeah. managerialist, who who would yes. you prefer to? See leading the Tory party? I think as a lever on balance, I'm not a Tory member, so I don't have a vote. Um, on balance, I would have wanted Dominic Raab, who got knocked out of the race He's after the second man. ballot. Um, mainly because we, we know for a fact he was standing up for Britain against the EU, because we've seen the behind-the-scenes documentary yes. with Michel Barnier, the EU chief negotiator, complaining about him. <laughs> that, that's good enough but for But there's me. that extraordinary moment where, in effect, it seems that Raab went out to Brussels, played hardball and said, you know, we're not budging. Yeah. And if you don't agree, this is on you. And then Downing Street Ollie a Robbins, a yeah. appears to have then allegedly said, actually, pay no attention to Rob. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's quite what, extraordinary. And that's what happened to David Davis as yeah. well. And he was Brexit secretary. Yeah. So in terms of someone who would be willing to deliver and do whatever is necessary to deliver uh, Brexit and therefore the willingness to go to a no-deal Brexit, suspend Parliament if necessary, on October 31st, I think, as two fingers up to the, the establishment saying you can't do that, I would have gone for him if he'd been the option. I'd love him to be someone like Chancellor, uh, someone who could deliver on that. Um, but I think having a Ramona, a Ramona <laughs> Chancellor and a Remainer Prime Minister for the last three years has not been good for our Brexiteering efforts. Um, in terms of uh, the, the candidates, uh, Rory Stewart, absolutely not. I was very glad Sam Jima stepped out. Good to know that he's in favour of a second referendum. At least he's honest. It's good uh, but ideas, bad ideas is, being driven out by yes, good ideas. absolutely. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know trust, I mean, Jeremy Hunt, continuity remain. Uh, Do you think continuity so? May. I, I absolutely think so. Very competent, great, great foreign secretary. Perfect job for him. Um, uh, Michael Gove, again, fantastic campaigner for Leave. I just think... He, he seems to be so caught up with the idea of sort of making good for, for being involved in you know, bringing down the, the Tories with the Leave campaign and the like, that, and bringing down David Cameron. I would, I would have him in any cabinet, whether, whatever political party I was in, delivering. I think he was a superb education secretary, uh, caught up by the Green Blob on environment, so a bit worried there, but great justice secretary as well. Would I trust that he would deliver a Leave that I was a Leave voter would recognise as Leave right now? I've got question marks. Um, Sajid Javid, very good man. Uh, li again, like him a lot. Um, not necessarily, not sure he's necessarily as inspiring as some others. But I think, look, we all know we're going to end up with Boris Johnson. Um, I've never drunk the Boris Johnson Kool-Aid. I, I, for years, and, and I was, you know, working on, you know, the, the London Evening Standard, you know, around the time, you know, that he was thinking of running for mayor. Um, it's that bizarre thing where you're sort of watching, almost like watching a film, and everyone's going, oh my God, this film is amazing. And you're saying, what? What, what, what is everyone else seeing and hearing that I'm missing? What, uh, uh, you know, do I need special glasses? Do I need the 3D glasses on to see this? I've never got it. I don't get, I just don't get Boris at all. But there's no doubt at all he could unite the party. He's got support almost equally from Leave and Remain. He did a pretty good job, not just in terms of getting elected in London, but as, Twice as, London uh, as a mayor, he was pretty yep. competent. I mean, at the moment. And, and the Leave campaign. I mean, there's no doubt at all. Was he necessary? I mean, again, he was. I think he was awful as foreign secretary. I think why? I think his lack of attention to detail um, is very, very telling. And I think his gaff-prone sort of slapdash. My worry with Boris is that he's very clever, but he's not quite as clever as he thinks he is, and that he thinks he's too clever to have to do the work. 
And that's an arrogance that only somewhere like Eton could breed, I think. Um, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced, convinced that he can have so much Remain support at the same time as so much Leave support, the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg, the ERG, the serious Brexiteers. I can't believe that he said the same thing to that side as that side, because the, the, that side wouldn't vote for him if he'd said what the ERG would like to hear. And every person I've interviewed on my radio show who's supporting Boris Johnson, who's a leaver, I asked them, uh, I asked Theresa Villiers the other day, um, seven times I had to ask her, former Northern Ireland Secretary, lead campaigner, what has Boris Johnson told you about what he's going to do if and when we can't renegotiate an EU deal that can get through the Commons? Very likely. If and you probably when, said it in ancient yes, classical well, Greek, yes, so exactly. no one could understand. If and when, if and when uh, there's only no deal as an option or yeah. no Brexit, what is he going to do to stand up to the Remain-controlled Parliament? And seven times failed to get an answer. And I don't think he has told people what he's going to do. Oh, no, no, don't worry, we'll get a new deal. What if we don't? No, no, don't worry, we'll get a new deal. Maybe if you're going to play the long game, try and get a deal, think you're going to fail, and then prorogue Parliament, you perhaps don't want to let Parliament know quite yet. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and maybe he's privately told the ERGers that he will do that. I don't know. Well, if he had probably told the ERG, we would have read about it in their WhatsApp group. You think by now? <laughs> yes, it would be released by now. Um, I, uh, I, I would, I would like to know what he's saying behind the scenes, yeah. as opposed to. And he's not saying very much in public because we've barely seen him. No. Change your tack slightly. Mm. Are you a feminist? Absolutely, hundred percent, card carrying, capital F. Why? Um, because um, I was raised by a feminist mother, um, and uh, the, the idea that. But do we still need men, well, feminism? Well, that men and women are equal and equal, uh, and and should be treated equally, unless there are very, very good reasons not to treat them equally. As in, you know, I'm pretty sure that men don't need uh, care after birth, you know, etc. Um, do we still need feminism? I don't think we need the kind of feminism we've got now. I'm a, I suppose I'm. I've only picked the stuff up from attending a few debates, which I wouldn't do again. Uh, we don't need fourth wave feminism. What's fourth wave? God feminism? knows, but it's something to do with us all being victims. And this is this is this is, the thing that says people with an X and a Y chromosome can compete as females? Probably, in but the it's, it's a general view that 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 women are these terribly vulnerable creatures, and and we and and things really aren't the same. And there's all these systemic battles we've got to fight. I'm a first wave feminist. Men and women are equal. I expect to do the same job as a man uh, if I want to, and uh, if I'm capable of it. It's not involving heavy lifting, um, and to be paid the same. And to be treated equally, um, I think this is basic stuff. And I think that ninety percent of, of people in this country are feminists. But I understand why Dominic Raab, when asked about this, didn't say he was a feminist. Because actually, most young women now don't identify as being a feminist. And I think that's because what they mean is they're not feministas. This sort of ongoing, whingy, moany, we're all victims. A man looked at me in the office and said, oh, that's a nice top. So now I'm, 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 it's, it's, I've basically been raped. And that's, that, that's, I'm going to have to have counselling for 17 years and claim a million pounds in compensation. I, I find that feminista uh, stuff absolutely bewildering. It's not how I was. But I'm, I'm constantly derided uh, among the sisterhood because I'm not a proper feminist. But it's interesting. The progressives used to campaign to ensure that women were treated equally. Yeah. Now you see some progressives siding with those who say that, for example, Women's sports should, in effect, have people taking yes. part who've, who are men, who are who well, are men, who've got X and Y chromosomes, no, who are men, <laughs> who are men. Um, <laughs> I mean, that that strikes me as as bizarre. If we've got 
say for example Wimbledon, yeah. if you allowed the male participants to well, play in the women's game, it would ruin it for everyone. I mean, this is a massive battle going on in the women's movement, uh, such as there is a movement uh, in terms of uh, uh, who, who thinks that uh, being a woman is something you are born or whether it's a state of mind um, and whether it's a decision. Um, you're a man, I'm a woman. It seems very simple to us. I completely accept there are people who, who grow up who feel, whether they are, whether they feel they are in the wrong body, that they, they, they feel they want to live a different identity. Go and do that, live your best life, have surgery, medical treatment, whatever it is, and be happy. Absolutely. And I will march in the streets for your right to be treated equally, not to be discriminated against, not to be abused. Absolutely. All of that. Hands down. But the idea that, that you, as a man, can say, I think I'm a woman, and you can just, as the government consultations out currently, you can just sign a piece of paper and it say, becomes self-identifying. And then you can walk into not only a women's Wimbledon, but also the top shop women's changing room with my 12-year-olds in there, then uh, you know what? No chance. Uh-uh. Uh, and the need for women-only spaces, and frankly, men-only spaces. I don't know a single man who wants to have teenage girls in the loo when they're in the loo. Um, uh, who, who wants to be in the same changing room as these people, or, or who wants who, who wants to invade? Most men don't want to invade women's spaces. They, they're quite happy uh, to respect the need of someone, a woman, for instance, who who's fleeing domestic violence or or, or a rape crisis centre. That it's that it shouldn't be staffed by men, whether they're dressed as women or not. Men <laughs> with the biological uh, you know, assets of being a man. Um, and I just think this is not something that is up for debate for mm. 99% of people, uh, good people, good people who would never dream of, of, of not, you know, not being polite enough uh, to, for instance, use someone's preferred pronoun. If you want to put a put makeup on and say, I'd like you to address me as she, I'm quite happy to do that as a matter of courtesy. But equally but in a free society... I don't have to accept you're a woman. But equally in a free society, you have the right to be rude and boorish. Exactly. And I, and I think that is the absolute crucial thing. Um, I think we're in a situation, it's not just about the right, rights of women. It's also about, about, about words having meaning. No. It's about truth. And it's about not having to give in to the thought police. And people who, for whatever reason, whether for religious reasons or yeah. other reasons, say, I don't believe that a woman can become a man and a man can become a woman. The, the idea that that is now hate crime, to express that thought, not directed at anyone at all, but simply to write that as a social media tweet or a Facebook message, that is now, technically speaking, a hate crime. Now, my last question, which I ask everyone, and uh, I think it's a question that is actually at the root of much of our current malaise, both as a country, but also the wider Western world. And it's, do do you think that all cultures are equal? No. (laughs) I think it's really bizarre that anyone should think that. Um, I've done a lot of travelling over the years, lived lived abroad as a child uh, a bit, and uh, um, been been around a long time. And it is without doubt the case, as a matter of fact, in my view, that um, the, the values that we have in Western uh, democratic nations are superior to those held in non-Western democratic nations. Uh, whether they would... is that perhaps one of the reasons why lots of people who live outside would like to come here? Like to... Yes, and why America has been so successful at assimilating people. Exactly, but if you look at you know lots of the countries, not just Western Europe, uh, but also uh, you know the Anglophile countries over the years, the you know the Canadas, the Australians, taking on the values of the idea. Individual rights, the idea that it's the individual who, who is sovereign 
uh, over their life and, and that and that you know laws should only really be made where you impinge on other people the idea that uh, you shouldn't be told what religion you have to have or face death as in many countries around the world if you leave that religion you can marry who you want to marry love who you want to love that men and women are equal gays and straights are equal black and white are equal the idea that these values are relative and should be treated as well but it's just, well, it's a cultural thing in Saudi Arabia that women aren't allowed to vote or drive as they weren't for many years and that they should go away, go around shrouded and not have faces. But that's a cultural difference that we should respect. No, we absolutely shouldn't respect it. It's not a value. It's, it's an insult. What, what you defined as Western cultural norms today, of course, weren't. weren't, weren't. 20, 30, and, and, and so it's possible to actually improve a country's culture. It's possible yes. for countries that don't have, frankly, good, productive yeah cultures that respect yeah. individuals to actually improve. Yeah. No, but I mean, there's a reason, again, why we saw the Industrial Revolution in, in the Northern European uh, Protestant countries, the difference between Protestantism and Catholicism, the, the role of the individual, their relationship with God, the notion of personal responsibility. Autonomy. Autonomy. There are so many different aspects where it, it's been quite specific to Western culture that these ideas have come about. Now, I don't believe that there is any intrinsic human right at all. I, you know, life is nasty, brutish and short and, and we have as a society created this world. And I think it's something that we need to shout about, we need to celebrate and we need to fight for, fight for democracy, uh, fight for those values. Um, mm. but, uh, but undoubtedly, the people who live in those societies, not just Britain, whether it's France, Germany, Sweden, America, Canada, wherever, the countries that have those values do a lot better. The people do a lot better. They live a lot you, longer. They're happier. You said earlier that you're an optimist, that you think the world is getting better. Mm. And I think one of the reasons perhaps why the world is improving is because those values yeah. are spreading. Yeah. And when you meet people who are inherently pessimistic about the future of the world, I wonder if it's because they're cultural relativists. And if you're a cultural relativist and you don't really understand the true engine of, yeah. of human progress, yeah. you, you, you end up believing that actually it's, it's going to end in... Yes, I mean, those, well, those values are good for individuals and they're good for countries, they're good for economies, yeah. they're, good for, they're good for the world. Democ and, democracies, and, again, and, don't go to war and, with and, and because we didn't have those cultural norms yeah. within actual living memory, yeah. it, it's possible for the sorts of improvements that have happened in the West mm. to happen throughout the world. And I think with the spread of the internet and television and films and things, mm. of course, with that cultural soft power that the West has, yeah. I think they're spreading much more quickly than they otherwise would do. And I'll tell you what I also don't believe is this idea that that view during the Arab Spring, that some cultures just don't lend themselves to these sort of values. And democracy is a Western. Well, it's, I, I think that it's absolutely possible for those countries. You talked to earlier about Protestantism and linked it mm. to the birth of the Industrial Revolution. There was once a time when people said that the Catholic South of Europe couldn't industrialize yes. for that. We all know that's nonsense. Yes. In fact, industrialization has spread throughout, throughout um, Europe, irrespective of. Of, of, of religion. I wonder if perhaps our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren might look back at a world where what we assumed were distinctively Western yeah. values actually become global. I mean, I, I certainly hope they do, and I think it's something we should push. I'm not necessarily sure that we should uh, go around sort of castigating every country that's, that's a few decades behind us, maybe some hundreds of years behind us on, on, on that scale, mm -hmm. but I think we should be having an open debate about it. And certainly when people are in this country, I'm very much of the view, if you want to come and live in this country yeah. and make this country your home and raise your children here, you will, you will there are certain cultural our values yeah. Yeah. about uh, women's rights, being able to marry someone you want, uh, equality, 
of, of gazes rates and, and black and white. And if you do not accept those values, then, then there are plenty of countries where you can live a nasty bigoted life if you want, or you can live a life where your, your daughters are basically your, your, your you know, your, 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 you own them, they're, they're your property. If that's where you want to go and live, then go and do so. But you're not doing it here. I would also, I would actually go even slightly further and I would say if public money is being used in education, Oh, yes. Education has to educate pupils about what you might call the Darwinian discoveries. Yes. That's not to say that you, you, you can have your own creationist beliefs if you want, mm -hmm. but you have to educate children to understand that the yeah. natural world, yeah. and I would say the economic and social world, mm -hmm. came about through a process yeah. of, of self-organisation. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's, and I think that so much of this, again, coming back to that pessimistic view of the world, is a sort of an embarrassment, a shame about our values. And, and because especially, I think, I, mean, I, I was brought, an, brought up an atheist, but, uh, uh, and still am, and raising my daughter as an atheist. Um, but my parents come from one Catholic, one Methodist. Uh, but it's very interesting, that sort of, almost that C of E sort of, you know, there's no, there's, there's no shouting about your religion. It's all just something you do very quietly, maybe-ish on a Sunday morning, but maybe not. And everyone's very quiet about it. And just because people aren't shouting about uh, a lot of those values, and even as an atheist, I'm fully aware that a lot of my values come from that Judeo-Christian culture that has created this country. Um, we don't shout about it, and we don't celebrate it, and we, and we don't, and, and when there is a clash, uh, as we've seen the, the school in Birmingham, where there have been protests by Muslim, uh, conservative Muslims, uh, outside a school demonstrating against the teaching of children, not sex education, but simply the fact that there are gay people in the world and, and they're just the same as straight people and to be treated accordingly. Um, just that, that simple fact. Um, if they had been, interestingly, if they had been Christian evangelicals, I think the left would be much happier about criticising it. But it because they're Muslim, everyone's a bit wary of it, because it's seen as a cultural difference. And we make these excuses. And I think we need to be much more bullish about celebrating the values that we have decided, not one part political party, but we have decided as a nation, mm -hmm. our political representatives, and largely the polling shows that people have gone with them, that, that we treat people as equal who are gay or straight. or, or mm -hmm. we, that, is, that is the law of the land. It's not up for debate. It's the law of the land. Why don't we celebrate that and why don't we champion it? So in the public space, we've got to have these shared values to work yes. as a country. Yeah. And we can argue about things on the, on the margins, yeah. but I think we, but we should be prouder about it. And we shouldn't have the view that, but if someone feels strongly in another direction, that we need to respect that. You could, I respect your right to hold those views. I do not respect your right to exercise those in action in this country. Very last final question. We've talked about how attitudes change. Cultural values change, uh, attitudes towards women's rights, yeah. attitudes towards you know, the way we treat animals and all the rest of it change. Is there something we do today that you think your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren will look at and think, how on earth did Aunt Julia or... or, or what were you or, thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? Yeah, you'll be the embarrassing grandma saying, you know what she... <laughs> we did? used to eat meat. Yes, <laughs> I have a funny feeling the meat one might yeah. be coming up. Um, yeah, I think we probably are going to move towards cruelty-free meat. But science can actually create, not meat yes. substitute, authentic lab-grown meat. Meat, it will be meat. Yeah. Uh, it just won't, it, it, there won't have to be an animal that was, that was slaughtered to do it. I'd, I'd, I'd be perfectly happy with that. Um, mm -hmm. I do, I do like a steak and a, and a sausage and bacon sandwich. I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I like steak, but yeah. if someone can create a, a lab-grown alternative, yeah. I'd be I mean, I think one of the things you really notice when you look at developing countries is the treatment of women and then the treatment of children, uh, the treatment mm -hmm. of animals. And these things, they, they go down the list. So I think we will see 
uh, some changes. I, I, I think also the environment. I suspect that actually as we get richer, people are going to want to see more of the uh, countryside restored to you know, ah. rewilded. I, I think... Do you know what I think quite differently? I think uh, one of the biggest, most interesting things that's going to be happening over the next 20, 30 years is the, the public waking up to the, the green blob and you think so? Yeah, absolutely. Because every time I interview someone on my show about what the, you know, the zero net zero emissions, by all means, let's absolutely clean up pollution and let's try and move away from fossil fuels and cleaner fuels. I think we'll do that anyway. I think, again, technology. The, the technology is it, it, what happens. Um, uh, and as long as you don't even have to subsidize it, you just create an environment where it, it can happen with the entrepreneurial spirit and innovation. But I, I do think virtually everything that the green movement is looking at is. We're going to tax you to eat meat. We're going to tax you to fly. We're going to tax you to your car. You're going to have to oh, sell does, your old car. We're going to tax you buying fast food. We're going to tax. And basically, it's all going to. You know, you're not, when we're all sitting in our dark, cold houses, wearing the same pair of shoes for the next six years, having collected and not being allowed to go on holiday anywhere, but you know, but, but Scarborough, I have a funny feeling the British people might feel differently about it. Yes and no. I mean, I, I, I do, I do just wonder if, take for example, fish. Mm. You no, know, a, a few generations ago. It, people used to hunt the meat they wanted. Yeah. I wonder if in 20, 30 years' time, we might look back and think, well, why didn't they just farm fish? Fish farming will displace this idea that you go and eat it, isn't it? Increasingly so. Yeah, but, but, then, but, then, yes, but then the animal rights people get upset about that. They're always, gonna, they're always going to move the, the, the line, aren't they? Yeah. Julia, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on. We, we went completely off script and talked about a whole range of things, but it's been fantastic. Thank you thank so much for thank coming. Thank you so much. Thank you.